Welcome to Rehab Within Reach. We are your hosts, Dr. Chrissy Rankin, physical therapist and CrossFit Level 1 coach. And I'm Dr. Sarah Nelson, a physical therapist, and I'm board certified in women's health and lymphedema therapy, and I also hold a master's degree in orthopedic manual therapy. And I'm Dr. Shona Craig. I'm also a physical therapist, a board certified women's health clinical specialist, certified lymphedema therapist, and yoga teacher. We are a collective of women from various backgrounds who support each other and the community around us that have one thing in common, therapy solutions. This podcast will be addressing how the body, mind, and spirit work together to create our current state of being while offering a refreshing approach to how to create harmony within each system. Our treatment philosophy is to empower people through education by combating modern evidence-based practice with our innate primal wisdom in order to promote body literacy and compassion in your personal healing journey. Even though our professional background started in physical therapy, we take an integrative and holistic approach by addressing all systems of the body in order to bridge the gap between the current medical model in the United States and your ability to make autonomous decisions to achieve independence and wellness. This podcast is meant to challenge you to think in ways that may feel uncomfortable at first, but don't worry. Remember, our goal is to provide resources in order for you to make the best decisions for your well-being, which may go against what most of our society suggests is quote-unquote healthy or correct. As a reminder, this podcast does not replace the medical examination, assessment, and plan of care from a licensed medical provider who has seen you personally. Let's get started. Okay, good. Well, we're going to talk about the core today, and particularly in terms of being pelvic health therapists, what the core means. And there are so many levels we can approach this at. Um, just even from your course full of a baby right now, Shona, mm-hmm. <laughs> or we can talk about, you know, muscularly, what is the core? How's it supposed to function? What's the role of the pelvic floor in the core? What is energetically? What's the core? Um, I think in my career, I started out with a very rudimentary understanding and it's developed every year and it continues. Um, and it's always a source of discussion. Like how are you supposed to get the best use out of core? So let's start with defining what, what do each of us see when we say core, what are you thinking? Yeah, usually I, I keep it simple for, patients and I say it's our diaphragm our pelvic floor our multifidi which is the muscles along our spine and our transverse abdominis which is the muscle that wraps around our midsection and I can even in my treatment style I then move the core up between literally shoulders and glutes because I feel like those are tied into or, you know, or we could even say like the rotator cuff of the shoulder and the rotator cuff of the hips, like those, all of that encompass that, that rectangle, I think is also can be considered the core too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I have a similar 
simple definition to where I, when I explain it to patients, it's like, uh, think of it um, uh, like a cylinder comprised of the transverse abdominis in the front, the multifidi in the back, the pelvic floor from the bottom and the diaphragm from the top. And then they all work in harmony um, together. So we have to, throughout treatment, we kind of address each one and then how they all like work together. Yeah, I like, I like that. And um, I like what you added, Christy, too, that uh, the muscles of the shoulder girdle begin to be, I see, important to function in the, in the stability of the trunk. So latissimus dorsi, I, was, I love talking about muscles because they're just amazing how that muscle attaches all the way across the crest of the pelvis, up the spine, you know, to almost the, the tips of the shoulder blades. And then, so it has this broad a, attachment and then it narrows down to this little insertion onto the arm. And so if I'm allowing my shoulders to float up, I'm losing some of that stability in, in holding my, my trunk stable, stably. It is um, fascinating how, like you just said, this massive wean, you know, essentially on our body, its action is to move the shoulder in a very like particular way. But yet, like you said, it goes all the way down to the pelvis and how that is part of the stabilization mechanism. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And I, maybe we can step through what we think is cool of all the different muscles. The other thing about the latissimus dorsi, and I know I've jumped out to the periphery of core by talking about this one, is I'll have people do a passive hang. And this uh, idea of getting being able to have the shoulder come up by the ear. And we're, we're always teaching people, get your shoulders down, but to be able to have the mobility to hang and have the shoulders come up by the ear, a lot of people don't have that mobility. So the lat is tight and then they can't utilize it to its greatest capacity. Muscles have to have full mobility as, as well as ability to generate contraction. Yeah, I think it's uh, so interesting how everyone was like PT for a long time was like, everything was about making sure their shoulder blades are down and you know, we're not recruiting our upper trap, but yeah, that's a great thing to talk about when we're at rest and making sure that we're not guarding and holding all the time, but you also need your upper traps and you need your mobility to function too. So um, finding the balance between the two is, is important. Yeah. And, um, and then the, the pelvic floor and the respiratory diaphragm. I think the first time anybody tried to talk to me in a physical therapy class about how those two muscles work together, it just, I rejected the theory because I couldn't get it in my head. It was too foreign of a thought to me. And those, those muscles are buried deep inside the body. Right? I like, so the respiratory diaphragm is one of the other muscles that I just think if I had to pick my favorite muscle in the body, that would be it. Because 
there it is attaching all the way around the base of the rib cage. And you've got all these major structures passing through it, the aorta, the vena, uh, vena cava, the, the esophagus, the vagus nerve. Um, I'm probably leaving some things off, you know, um, then the spinal columns right there. And then how the hip flexors come up and touch that diaphragm. So now hip, hip action is important to the core. <laughs> mm -hmm. I think and, that's probably one of the main dysfunctions that I see with the core is the diaphragm. Or maybe mm -hmm. that's where I tend to go first um, is breathing. Because, you know, maybe if I jump too quickly into, okay, you know, let's do the exercise where you exhale and draw your transverse in towards your spine. Many, many times there's some dysfunction where people want to actually inhale when they do that. And then we have mm -hmm. to bring it back further and say, okay, forget any muscle muscular contraction. Let's just learn how to breathe and expand the diaphragm um, or contract the diaphragm correctly. And that's always, mm -hmm. I mean, we just keep bringing it back to the, to the breath so many times. Yeah. A lot of us just use a short range of motion because we don't see that muscle and we don't realize that it's stiffened up on us. What's it like to have a baby pushing up on that muscle? <laughs> um, that's a good question. I don't, yeah. I think some people feel it more intensely than I do. Um, I subtly I feel like I can't exhale as um deeply I can inhale um that's a really good question um I mean I in the third trimester I've been feeling the little like feet kick up on the right side and press up there which is a really fascinating experience um I don't know. I still feel like I can expand and contract it very well, but other pregnant women mm -hmm. might have a different yeah. perspective on that. I've just been working my diaphragm for so long that I think it has a really good excursion. Um, mm -hmm. so, so in that sense, effective. I think I've been prepared well for the changes that happen there. And I think yeah. it's a testament to the fact of like, you in this profession understand that connection, whereas you know, a pregnant person could be, um, could be led in the wrong direction just because we think, well, baby is being supported by pelvic floor and then it passes through the pelvic floor. So like, that's the most important thing. But, you know, when we know that it's all connected and the, con and the action of the diaphragm affects the pelvic floor, then yeah, we're going to have a little bit easier time, but we just don't talk about the diaphragm when it comes to birth mm -hmm. and, and public floor health and stuff like that. Right. Chrissy, can that make, okay. oh, sorry. Oh no, you I was say, that makes me think about um, giving birth and the importance of breathing and also using your voice um, to help the public floor uh, function in um, the most optimal way when giving birth. It's not, you're right, like it's not just about the pelvic floor at all. 
and I'm exploring yeah. a bit more um, how not just breathing, but because we have this awesome handout that Laura, which is like just a list of ways to activate the vagus nerve in a positive way, you know, and um, and it's right there next to our printer. So I just, you know, copy it all the time for patients. And I keep, I, I always forget that you can use other forms of activating the diaphragm besides breathing and that singing and humming is mm -hmm. a way to do that too. And I've been exploring it myself a little bit more and it is, it's interesting. Like there's more than just one way to do it and one mm -hmm. way to activate it and one way to support it. You know, it's pretty cool. Yeah. How, Chrissy, what? would you say in lifting, like what is optimal function between the respiratory diaphragm and the pelvic floor? Do you, is that important? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. it's a loaded question. Um, <laughs> yeah. It depends on your goals. So if you're trying to be an Olympic athlete or high level powerlifting uh, competitor, your relationship to your pelvic floor and diaphragm are probably not going to be as functional as we would like it to be. Um, and not necessarily in a wrong way, uh, like in a bad way. Um, because in order to lift the heaviest weight possible, you have to have a Valsava maneuver, which is you holding your breath, creating this outward pressure against your structures um, in your body. And that's why a lot of people at heavier weights, when they're lifting heavier weights, wear a weight belt um, because it, it gives them the cue to press out into that belt to create that cylinder that Shona was talking about. Um, and a lot of times though, when you do something like that on top of the heavy load, then we tend to have leakage or, um, prolapse symptoms or something like that. At higher level competitions, you're going to see many, mostly women, um, because you can visually see the leakage happen like on the platform. Um, mm -hmm. And it's a pretty widely accepted thing that's gonna happen in those higher level lifting, weightlifting competitions. Um, I do know that there was a recent study showed that upwards, including men, have 80% of some incontinence um, during higher level weightlifting, which and incontinence can also be passing gas when you don't want to, you know, like it's not just urine. Um, and I think when they wrote in the survey, like that includes passing gas, then it probably increased that, that oh yeah, I have this more than others. Mm -hmm. So it begs to, like it's a, a, a conversation about, well, are there times when the Valsalva maneuver is appropriate, which there are times it is appropriate. And if you have leakage or prolapse symptoms with it, is that okay short-term? Or you know, once we do it once, then it has effect long-term. Um, we just don't know, um, but mm -hmm. I think being aware that that's a thing and it depends on your goals, then mm -hmm. 
then yeah, then you can navigate it however you want to. Yeah. I think of gyrotonic as a movement approach I like to to use. And they have something called pelvic narrowing. And it, it's um, they use individual cues essentially to teach an outward spiraling of the hip sockets and a drawing of the hemipelvis in towards each other. And it creates um, a lifting of the pelvic floor diaphragm. So if you think of, of that pelvic floor muscle as a pancake shaped muscle that can um, bow and bulge um, rather than sphincter muscles. Um, when you're doing that narrowing, the pelvic floor lifts up. And so I'm, I'm sitting here right now and thinking about, well, let me do the cylinder pressure and can I lift the pelvic floor? I think I can, but I'm not putting any weight to it. So I don't, I don't know once I, if I would try to lift something very heavy, if I'd end up pushing the pelvic floor down. So one thing that doesn't get explored in detail, I think, or closely is that internal lift. And like, we really push that at the clinic, teaching people how to lift their organs up off the pelvic floor. And so I would like to think that those two things could go together, the Valsalva with an internal lift. I think they can go together. Um, I think it takes a lot of, of deep connection with your body and truly understanding what's happening in that system. I think it can be done. Um, it just got to take a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. It, and it, you know, are, will people take that work? Because now we can talk about the energetic of the core. You're really to feel this area of your body deeply and manage it and control where you're putting it. Um, now we start to get into people's belief systems about their body or um, I know even having the benefits of growing up dancing and being a physical therapist, it was 15 years into my practice before I ever felt my pelvic floor. <laughs> hmm. uh, you know, my era, you didn't talk about these things. Um, so connecting with that is um, sometimes a first hurdle for people. Like this is a part of your body. You can, you can know and how it works and manage it. Um, so the, the other piece in gyrotonic that they, they teach for um, the core, they have something like a, they call it a central line. They call it the fifth line. Everybody has words, right? To, but in, um, oh, in ac acupuncture, they call it the, the governing channel running right through the center of the trunk. Um, and, and then, um, in yoga, it's Sushumna. So, you know, you know, this is important because it gets different names in different systems. So in gyrotonic, they talk about that internal alignment and then expansion. So I'm going to create an awakening of the muscles that are going to support my core by dropping the pelvis, lifting the head type of cue. And, and then I move from the, the center of mass, which is belly button level and a couple inches in. Um, 
And this is a very energetic awareness of your body and how it's working. So here's another deeper level um, of, of awareness. It's an invitation to, to people to um, experience their body deeper. And I think as we approach the center of our core, like the body is the tool for enlightenment. <laughs> oh yeah. Most people mm-hmm. just want to lose, lose some weight and get fit. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. you know, that, that may be too much. Um, and so then we just go back and talk about here's this muscle and here's how it works. Just getting under that layer, getting under the skin and into the muscle is where people need to start. Yeah. I'm, um, I'm thinking of, um, I was just reading, uh, that book called the female pelvis and I was skipping oh, yeah. to the birth and delivery sections and they were talking about getting really in tune with the specifics of the pelvic floor, like the, um, muscles around the rectum, the muscles around the vagina and the urethra and being able to contract and bear down, um, or expand each one, uh, specifically. And I guess I'm, I'm thinking of the chapter where they talk about like pushing, um, and the what doctors I mean you hear you see on tv and then the hospitals sometimes they still teach you the valsalva maneuver to push where you're holding your breath and bearing down but that has more risk for um it's more effective if you need to the baby out but it's more risk for tearing your perineal body and so this book goes on to explain how to use your diaphragm exhale and specifically expand the area around the vagina the anterior pelvic floor and that is like very specific because you don't want to do it around the rectum or in the back because that'll be more risk for injury you don't want to do it too far in the front because then it won't be effective so you know it that's just another example of like learning how to be very specific with your pelvic floor and this Mm -hmm. is in in a way of expansion and letting go um, versus contraction but I guess you need both for Mm -hmm. different functions I think what you both were saying was that people have to be willing to get into that very vulnerable spot when because we always think about like vulnerability as like emotions and then about like mental and, but our body can also be vulnerable too. And it might even be like a quicker bridge to get to that vulnerability spot and how two different situations, like one about exercise and, and having this, these um, connotations around exercise that it's always about weight loss and fitness and, same thing with childbirth that, you know, a means to an end is getting the baby out. But if you add the consciousness of what's actually happening, you allow that vulnerability, which is hard for a lot of people. And Mm -hmm. we find Mm -hmm. that it's more than just a means to an end. Like the process is just as important as the outcome. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
think we need to be gentle on ourselves. Um, so here we've been skirting around what traditionally people think of the core as the abdominal wall. True. And <laughs> I'm, or traditionally, I mean, maybe at first I should say rudimentary understanding. And um, so we end up with like a lot of gripping in the abdominal wall. So do you guys want to, do you have any thoughts about what sh should we be holding our abdominal wall? Should we let it relax? How, what do you like to teach about that? Oh yeah, I, I'm one of those people that grips my abdominal wall and I didn't realize how much until I went to a pelvic floor class and we did biofeedback and we had electrodes vaginally and on my abdominal wall and I, I could not relax my abdomen and when I did, I would feel this like weird, nauseous pulling feeling up and through my diaphragm into my chest, and which tells me there's some fascial restrictions there. Um, and I think, I mean, there's many reasons why we hold our abdominal wall. I think a big one is culturally, as we think, you know, we, women, especially, we, well, I guess men too, <laughs> like we want to suck it in and, and look good mm -hmm. in our, in our core and not let that hang out. But uh, that in itself, I mean, like any muscle, it's going to create dysfunction and weakness if it's too tight or if we're always holding tension there. Um, and then energetically, I think that has an effect as well that we can't, or if we're holding something there energetically or emotionally, maybe. Um, and as soon as you start to, for me, as soon as I started to uh, practice letting go, like emotions would come up or thoughts or feelings and just working through that as another multi-layer I think it's just such like an important area and it also makes me think of like the image of the Buddha and the Buddha belly and how the Buddha belly is just mm. always just like mm -hmm. big and out there and full and it's just like such a beautiful image where I think that area for him for the Buddha is just like love and um I don't know but for me that just that helps me <laughs> visualize mm. opening that area and I guess in pregnancy too like um I've been doing core exercises but I actually have been working more so on relaxing my abdomen to allow for the opening and expansion um to happen there and I found that if I contracted too much or strengthened too much there it would for me it led to more constipation I think and um just tightness in my like hips and like oh okay I need to like back off on the core strengthening for me anyway um so those are my thoughts on <laughs> on, mm -hmm, on that mm -hmm. what do you guys think yeah. Well, I know for myself, again, I'm so grateful for the, my profession because it helped me become aware of this. When I was contracting my abdomen, I was pulling in above the belly button, but pooching out below the belly button. And it yeah. took me what, what, once I realized I was doing that and it took me months to relax the upper abdomen and then work 
the contraction from the transverse abdominis, you know, so to trigger that, I just think of pulling the pubic bone behind the bladder and doing a 50% effort rather than a really hard contraction. Um, and we had that wonderful discussion when you first started, Chrissy, about how, 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 what should we do with the abdominal wall? Should it go in? Should it go out? Should it stay where it is? And I think I came away from that discussion with, it needs to be able to do all those things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and, you know, master of, you know, none and jack of all trades of everything. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I was also, I had a patient once tell me, and she was very, she was into, um, she was really attuned with herself and like she all, but she also really was into like nature and animals and stuff like that. And she talked about how in nature, beyond humans, like more animal, other primal animal beings, and how if in a pack situation, you have an injury to your abdomen, they like leave you alone because like you can't survive from an injury to the abdominal wall and it, it protects so much inside and how how primal it is like even in evolutionary that we might also feel like we need to pack it in and protect everything in our abdomen so then we grip because not we're trying to just protect everything and then but then that also in, inadvertently like we tend to bulge down um which then can promote prolapse um or that if there's a diastasis and we feel like that vulnerability like oh my core and my abdomen and my contents inside that area aren't being protected and so that's why diastasis recti for a lot of people might feel more of a problem than other people might so I thought that was really interesting that there might even be like hmm. evolutionary subconscious parasympathetic sympathetic nervous system activation there where we're driven to like hold that in as much as possible too or yeah primal protection, protection. well what, there's two or three books just on the psoas muscle that hip flexor muscle which is attaching to the lumbar spine and to the femur and uh so we don't think of it as a core muscle but it is helping to hold the spine um along with those multifidae and rotatories, those little muscles, they like to call them dynamic ligaments because they're just crossing one or two segments in the trough between the spinous process and the transverse process. Um, they do extension and rotation. The hip flexor does that. It flexes the hip, but it also extends the spine. Um, so there's that interesting harmony between transverse spinal muscles and hip flexor and um, <clears throat> that hip flexor gets tight and short. And it, it, it can happen just with a day of sitting or an hour or two of sitting. <clears throat> and then that muscle doesn't know how to work in a long range. And then that contributes to some of the imbalance and restriction in stabilizing the core, the, the, mm. this traditional core. Um, 
And so if we're traveling down the, into the hips too, we've got the hip rotators where piriformis and obturator internus are the sides of the pelvic floor. I always like to show that to people. So if I'm saying that the pelvic diaphragm is part of stabilizing the core, then my ability to work those hip rotators is very important to core stabilization too. And those muscles tend to become sleepy and fatty as we get older because they should be working to help us on uneven surfaces, which we never walk on anymore, barely at all, unless you take up hiking. <laughs> so, yeah, so, <clears throat> um, yeah we, anyway. we've experienced that a lot in yoga. I think Sarah with our teacher, Simla, who just always says like, don't let your hips fall out. <laughs> yes, yeah. So easy just to let the, in all the yoga poses to let your hips be loosey-goosey um, mm -hmm. and it, it takes a lot more consciousness to draw the femur into the socket with those with those hip rotators um, I know we've been I've been working on that a lot for the past few years so that was like a that was a revolutionary concept in my mind mm -hmm. yes and for people with um, like lipedema with a fat disorder don't I think one of the diagnostic criteria that they were looking at um, in research was weakness in the hip rotators as mm. part of the diagnosis. And if you watch these people, so for people who are listening, lipedema is, um, it's also called painful fat storage. And the classic picture is the person is normal from the waist up. And then they have, then they just flare out with very large hips and buttocks and down to the ankles and then the feet look normal. Sometimes it's to the knees and then the calves look normal, but it's fatty tissue deposition that's painful and can be lumpy. Um, <clears throat> but if you watch those people, they do a lot of hip drop and mm. they have uh, trouble um, keep, you know, maintaining that hip in the socket. Um, hmm situation so um about a lot yeah. of people people with we see the Eller stanlos and the connective tissue mm -hmm. disorders i think they also have a lot of trouble with that yeah yeah helping so maybe the the final question is how do how do we help people wake up their their core i mean it's not new information to have a strong core um, but how do you, how, how can people do that? I have a story. <laughs> so when I started my business, um, prior to that, I would get up every morning at five 30, go to the gym and work out. And, um, then I started the business and it took everything I was, from the moment I woke up to the moment I went to bed, I was doing something related to work and I stopped exercising for myself. You know, I would teach exercise to people and that went on for about two years. And then I started up again because I, I knew I needed to, but at two, the two-year mark, I'm looking at my patients and I'm like, how come I can do these exercises that I'm showing them, but they can't do it. So I had this idea that, somehow exercise and life were separate. And 
I realized that I could do the exercises because I did them every day here and there with people, but I moved through my day with the qualities of movement I was teaching in the exercise. Mm -hmm. So I think we, we exercise to practice what we, how we want to move in our day. I, I want to relax my belly and do internal lift, keep my hips in the socket, even as I walk down the stairs or as I sit to stand or uh, lift the groceries or lift the coffee cup. So, yeah. Um, That's so true. Yeah. That's what I think I'm thankful for my dance background um, because dance taught me how to exhale on the movement, which, you know, for example, you do a, a pivot turn and you exhale, engage your core and do the move. And I think that then translated into my everyday life. Like, yeah, picking up a bag, a heavy bag, using my glutes, my hip, my hip rotators to keep them in the socket and then using the diaphragm on the exhale. I never really thought about it until I started you know, into this world of pelvic floor PT, especially. And I thought, oh yeah, I, I do that naturally, but I don't think many people don't do that naturally for some reason, where we get into habits of holding our breath while we're doing uh, like functional activities. Um, and so you're right. I think a lot of PT, like I start with just breathing and then engaging those muscles with the breath with the ultimate goal of, of uh, bringing that into our everyday activities, which you have to think a lot about at first until, until you don't have to think about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, like yeah. To, I also like to um, uh, add some external load to get people to feel what it feels like. Mm -hmm. um, I struggle really hard with the macro or the micro details of things and I get more global or macro. That's more my style of how I think. Um, and so I've seen that a lot with patients too, that, you know, I'm trying to tell them all these cues to get our core engaged appropriately and nothing that I'm saying is clicking to them and nothing that, and it, you could see the frustration in their face because like they really want to perform well for me. And it's, you know, like, no, like this is about you for one, not about me. Um, but also people, it's like the words don't translate. So I like to put people in positions that no matter what your core is going to be activated and like, what does it feel like? So I like to do um, one that's, it's called a bear hold. Um, at least in like the functional fitness world. I, again, like Sarah mentioned earlier that if multiple systems are calling it different things, then, you know, it's, it's a good one. Um, but it's just in the hands and knees position and then you just lift up your knees and now you're in like a modified plank almost. Mm -hmm. But it's this tabletop position that you have, your core is going to light up no matter what. So that I like, or in standing, I like um, uh, being in like a mini squat and then having a band attached 
to something sturdy and then pulling on it so that you can feel in the frontal plane um, or having them sit on a stability ball and with appropriate posture and then add like a heavy dumbbell or a heavy kettlebell. And again, it's going to have to fire in order for you to maintain that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. so I think it's, it's another way to like, this is what it's supposed to feel like. Um, now, can we replicate this yeah. throughout the day? Like that's yeah. kind of the goal. So I've done that too, which is, is pretty successful. I think that was an important thing that you reminded me of because I'd gone off on this trail of, you know, bo just body weight exercise and adding weight is, has made a big difference for me to feel that wake up. And I, and mm -hmm. as I get older too, I need that or cause the muscles just tend to go the other way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Even in your twenties, it goes the other way. The other way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That waking up in the morning and going, what, what, why, when did that stop working? You know, <laughs> <laughs> so they just they just turn off <laughs> well good um so I did eventually have to start exercising again you can't not I yeah and you just rely it makes, on your functional activities <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yeah well is there anything you guys want to add to this topic I think we touched into a lot of things. Yeah, I think yeah, we could have a whole nother discussion on like the 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 chakras in that area and just you know emotions and stories that we tell ourselves about that area. But that's like save it for another time, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We could combine that with and different types of exercise you can do for each section. So because we could combine mm -hmm. the chakras and emotions and how to upregulate them you know or downregulate them I think that'd be really cool yeah yeah Ooh, next topic mm. Easy. okay great well thank you guys thank you. thank you good talk as always yes so thank you so much for listening to this episode our group tends to have these fantastic discussions, and we always ask ourselves why we haven't recorded any of them. And now, here we are. If you are interested in more content, we'll be releasing new episodes every other Monday. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by searching Therapy Solutions PLLC. That PLLC is super important. This is the Rehab Within Reach podcast, where all are encouraged to experience wholeness and independence. See you soon.